Hello, everybody. My guest today is going to talk all about consultants. You guys know me, man. I love campaigns. I love all the ins and outs. I love all the war strategies. I love the big bets that pay off. I love the big bets that blow up in people's faces. This is my wheelhouse, and I got the man that wrote the book on it. Building a Business of Politics, The Rise of Political Consulting is his book. This interview is great. We talk all about the history of this field, uh, uh, how big it is financially. I get into my gigantic, hilariously uninformed conspiracy that consultants through their, their, their wily ways talk people into running for president. You're going to hear him react to this. This is a professional this is a professor and chair of the political political science at Johns Hopkins University. He had to answer my dumb questions. It's great. Before we get started, though, let me remind you that you can support this show by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is where our Patreon lives. Support the show. At the $3 level, you get two bonus episodes per week, one on Monday, one on Friday, little minisodes to make sure that you never miss a beat. But... Enough of me slapping my microphone. What do you say we just go ahead and get on into this interview? My guest today is Adam Scheingate. He is a professor and chair of political science at Johns Hopkins University. His most recent book is Building a Business of Politics, The Rise of Political Consulting and the Transformation of American Democracy. Adam, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, this is an issue that I have been continually fascinated by mostly because I mostly read about political consultants in the books that happen after campaigns end, but you don't really hear a lot about political consultants unless you're reading into political media in the very early stages of a campaign when people are talking about their hiring processes. So there's this whole real-time phase of a campaign running that I feel like there's this kind of blackout on the effect that consultants have. So uh, let's start here. What is a political consultant? Well, I think of a political consultant as somebody who's providing the services and technology and strategy for a political campaign. So that could be pollsters, it could be the media specialists. It could be the people who are experts in uh, getting your ground game started and operating. Um, pretty much every phase of a political campaign is run by a professional, uh, and those professionals are part of firms that provide those services for a fee. So this is a whole uh, a range of, 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 of kinds of talents, right? Like there's not one, you don't say political consultant and uh, uh, then have that be, uh, you know, just somebody who provides strategy. 
you know, there are generalists. There are people who, you know, get hired on to be the campaign manager. Um, and in the when the business first started, that's what a lot of people did. But over time, things have specialized and, and you tend to hire somebody to do particular tasks. And although there are still general strategists out there, where the money is, is really in media. And so it's the folks who not just uh, produce the media, uh, but the people who figure out uh, how to buy time and to place the media in the right slot for the right audience. And then, of course, now with the advent of digital media, Facebook ads, Google ads, you've got firms uh, specializing in exactly that phase of the campaign. Um, and so pretty much any any element in in modern campaigns, there's there's a service that you can buy. When did the specialization start to happen? Was there a moment in which things fractured and and uh, th there became more specific roles? I mean, I think it gradually happened, but really the the late seventies and eighties, I would argue, is when the business really took off. Um, in particular, the specialization around media. Uh, and polling begins to emerge at that time. And then it's just increased, as I said, with, with the development of new technology, with the growth of the Internet. Um, that's become um, an important part of the business. And then an another aspect, which I haven't mentioned, is you know people, consultants whose job it is to help candidates raise money. So experts in fundraising, which includes direct mail, which includes uh, increasingly email solicitations. That's also a pretty recent development. Uh, and a pretty important specialization in the business. When when you look at just this entire uh, field, it, it seems like it would have grown with the size of the fundraising halls and just the budget for these campaigns. Like that's that's something that has definitely, at least throughout my lifetime, seems to have exponentially grown. Uh, would you say that that's that's part of it? Yeah, I I think it's absolutely part of it. I mean, one of the things that I uh, found out when I was doing the research for my book is that the timing of the emergence of this field corresponds to the development of our modern campaign finance law in the 1970s. And although there's a lot of problems, we all know that you can basically spend as much money as you want. There's a lot of dark money out there where you don't know where the where the where the sort the sources of that money. But um, it is the case that uh, the federal election law requires campaigns to detail how exactly they spend their money. Oh. And so one way they one way they detail how they spend their money is by you know sending it to consultants. And so um, I think that part of the growth of the consulting industry is because it provided a legal way to spend money in political campaigns after uh, after the 1970s. And then of course the more money that you, uh, that you raise, the more you have to spend. And then, of course, uh, we know from looking at campaigns, there's kind of an arms race that goes on where for every dollar that your, your competitor is spending on media, you, tr you try to top that with your own media spending. And so that just kind of ramps up the spending and uh, I would argue uh, increases the amount of money going to these consultants. And I'm sure now that media is such a fractured landscape, now the consultants that know how to navigate those waters are even more valuable than they were before. That's right. And I think like another another part of this story is is sort of who's buying these services and their candidates mostly and, and political parties and political action committees. But I think that the consultants kind of have um, a, a kind of an advantage where 
the candidates don't really know what it takes to get elected. And they're always afraid that they, if they don't do everything possible, they might lose. And I think that uncertainty and a little bit of that fear is what enables consultants to sell some of those services. And so there's a question that's uh, difficult to answer, but it's an open one, which is what are these what are these uh, candidates actually buying um, and how much of the money that's going to consultants is really contributing to their electoral success and how much of it is just excess. I'm so glad you brought that up because I have a hilariously uninformed opinion that I'm going to run by you in a second. But first I want to ask you this. Uh, How big is this field? If you were to ballpark it, how many people are making their living as political consultants going from campaign to campaign and uh, applying their trade? I, I don't have exact figures on the numbers of people involved. I mean, I would say it's in the thousands. Uh, in terms of the money, um, I would say you know, 50 to 60 percent of all of the money that's spent in federal election campaigns are going uh, not always to consultants, but through consultants. So, so much of the money that gets spent in politics is being spent on media, uh, television media or digital media, and that has to be uh, handled by a consultant. So consultants in that regard, they're sort of like advertising agencies where they take the money from the client and then they use that money to buy the ad on the air. And so they typically take a commission off of that amount. That could be sometimes as low as one or two percent commission. It could be as high as five percent or even or even higher. Um, so it's difficult to know exactly how much money they're making, but they're they're making money on every transaction that goes to media. Um, so I would argue it's a billion-dollar industry or a multi-billion-dollar industry. Um, it's also the case that these same consulting firms are providing services to um, political parties. They're providing services to political action committees. They're providing services to corporate clients as well who want to um, ensure that they have a, a, a positive public opinion. So it's a, it's a big business, and then that business kind of bleeds into other areas like advertising and public relations. How many of these consultants are specific to one party? They almost all are. And so, in fact, it's, there's really like two markets for political consulting. There's a Democratic market for political consulting and a, Republic, uh, and a Republican market. And that's because the consultants develop their expertise and reputations working for one particular uh, party or another or candidates from one particular party or another. And um, and in fact, the parties themselves contribute to the development of this market because um, each electoral cycle, the Republican and Democratic parties and then the Republican and Democratic congressional campaign committees for the House and Senate, they handpick certain consultants that they're going to channel money to or channel business to depending on um, you know which races they see as the most competitive. So it's a business that is very tied to our party system, um, as opposed to some other kind of um, commercial enterprise that you might think about. Yeah, because I guess on one hand, if you need banners, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. But if you need to reach a certain demographic, there are certain demographics that Republicans reach out to. There's certain demographics that Democrats reach out to. And that's a fundamentally different skill set. That's right. And, you know, there's a certain amount of trust that goes along with this. You know, how can I trust somebody to help me win my uh, my, my campaign uh, if they're not even a member of, of the same party? And again, one of the things that I discovered in the in tracing the history of this business is that initially there wasn't that clear differentiation between um, Democrats and Republicans. And then 
over time, candidates sort of preferred to hire people who had come through the ranks of working for other can- candidates in uh, in the same party um, for those reasons of kind of trust and familiar- familiarity and exactly, as you said, kind of knowledge about um, what is effective for a particular candidate from a particular party. Is there a particular godfather or a trailblazer for these kinds of jobs? Was there one person that realized, oh, no way, this can be another different kind of professional field as opposed to just happening to be close to candidates and and being involved in politics in general and just getting involved in campaigns? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, you know, those are the people that I really became fascinated with um, uh, writing my book. So going as far back as the 1930s, this guy named Eddie Bernays, who was a public relations hack, who basically came up with the idea that he could sell his services uh, for political purposes. He wasn't that successful. They didn't really buy his services because at that time they still relied more on the information they got from kind of the ward, the ward healers and party bosses of the day. But by the time you get to the 1950s, and particularly California was a place where the business originated in part because of the specific aspects of California politics at the time. And so there was a uh, the first firm called Campaigns Incorporated run by Clem Whitaker and his wife, Leonie Baxter. And they really sort of set the model for a, a firm that would provide these services. And then, you know, going through the the 70s, um, a, a guy named Joe Napolitano who um, uh, who worked in, in Pennsylvania. And, and over the years, you had kind of these um, founding 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 figures, um, um, you know, leading up to the, the people that we're familiar with today, the Carl Rhodes or um, uh, or the um, James Carvilles, who um, in the last few you know uh, years and decades have kind of became celebrity consultants, if you will. All right. Let me get into my my hilariously uninformed opinion, because it's something that I've I've just kind of had this idea as the money's gotten larger and we see these insane, gaudy fundraising halls, not only for presidential races, but also in Senate races and governor's races sometimes these days, uh, like we saw in in, uh, the off year elections. I have this theory that consultants can talk people into running because that's going to be a job opportunity for them. And if I were to just make up a scenario, I would say somebody like Howard Schultz or maybe Beto O'Rourke strike me as people that are running now because, uh, and we've seen in in a lot of, specifically in the Howard Schultz uh, example, we've seen a lot of press around all the consultants that he's hired. Uh, it It would seem to me that if that is not the case, it has to at some point become it because the money's just too big. Well, you're, I mean, I think there's some truth to what you're saying. Uh, a consultant is, you know, kind of going to be motivated by several things. One is, um, you know, can they, can they pay the bills? Can they keep the lights on? So they need clients yeah. who can pay. Right. Um, then they want to, um, they want to win, but, um, they might work for somebody who has no chance of winning uh, if the money is good and if they can perhaps outperform expectations. They'd rather outperform than underperform. So taking somebody who, you know, maybe is a bit risky but is well funded, um, that could be your ticket to future success as a consultant. And so even somebody who's, you know, relatively, you know, uh, has been re- relatively unknown. If, if, if they can sort of catch fire, then all of a sudden as their consultant, you've 
maybe um, made a name for yourself as a result. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the Howard Schultz's of, of the world, I have to say, I mean, those people I think are just um, really attractive for consultants because, you know, yes! they, they are, they're such easy marks. I have to say, you know, they've got a lot of money. Uh, they're going to spend it. They may not be around for very long, but they, they have no chance. And, um, and, uh, and, but for the money, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be running and wouldn't have consultants working for them. So you're saying there's a chance here. Like this is, this is not, this is not, maybe it's just uninformed, not hilariously uninformed. Yeah. I, I, no, it's, I just, what I would say that, you know, there's maybe, um, there's maybe less evidence for is the role that consultants play actually recruiting candidates to run. Okay. That, um, you know, that, you know, they generally, generally they do pitch, uh, the, the consultants go and pitch people who've already announced their candidacy and they're competing with other consultants who are trying to get that account or that, that business. Um, and then, as I said, um, the political party committees will sometimes uh, channel resources and consultants to certain races that they see as, as competitive. Um, but uh, there's less evidence that sort of, you know, a consultant's kind of this uh, Svengali who like goes around and like discovers somebody and turns them into a, into a candidate. Although it, you know, it's possible it's happened. Yeah. Um, I- and there's definitely something going on there where, you know, the consultant's role in shaping this candidate, particularly if it's a first time candidate, that is to say they've never run for office before, they are, I think, vulnerable, frankly, to a consultant um, playing in a really oversized influence in shaping their candidacy, how they present themselves to the electorate, the issues that they choose to emphasize. Um, and sometimes that can get the person away from the candidate away from the reason that they chose to run in the first place. And and that's, that's where the question of what role consultants play in our democracy becomes, I think, a, an important and interesting one. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't think that it's necessarily, all right, I'm going to find this person. I'm going to talk them into running. Right. But I do yeah. think that if somebody is maybe had a little moment in the sun uh, uh, let's say maybe come close to beating Ted Cruz in Texas, hypothetical example, and raised a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> that that maybe from a top-down party situation, that the party bigwigs might say, "You want to know what? This is a crowded presidential race. Uh, no matter what, uh, 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 Beto O'Rourke would be better off running again for Senate in Texas against John Cornyn. Uh, uh, the you know we're, we're close to flipping the Senate, uh, right. but." That's not going to raise as much money as him running for president with with this already intact fundraising network. And yeah, when yeah. you think about okay, well, who if there is somebody other than Beto O'Rourke, you know, being born to do it, as he said in his Vanity Fair cover, uh, uh, then who would benefit? And it's like, well, everybody's going to work on that campaign. Would uh, there there had to be people yeah. that were like, hey, look, a you should run. Look at the you are the fresh face of of uh, a liberal hope. And also, when you do, remember to email your boy. Right. I, I mean, so the influence is, is there, but it's also in kind of how they run or the strategies they, they follow, you know, as well as whether to run for president, say, or run for Senate. But yeah, that's where I think that the, the thing that's, that is important to emphasize about consultants is that they have, they have multiple incentives that are, you know, they, they, they are partisans, right? We just talked yeah. about that. They, 
They want their team to win. If they're the red team or the blue team, they want their team to win. But they also are making a living at this. And the question I think that um, has to be asked of consultants is, is how much of your advice that you give a candidate is influenced by the financial rewards that you get? So, you know, if you are a fundraising consultant, you are you are generally operating with a contract where you're getting a certain cut of whatever they raise or however many people respond to an email or whatever the metric is that you've structured in your contract. Or, you know, again, if you're a media guy, the more that you run ads on TV, the more money you might be making. And again, that's where the digital thing comes in, where you don't make as much money on Facebook ads because they're so much cheaper than, than television ads. Mm. Um, or, you know, if you're, you know, if you're just in a, in the world we're in now where you're looking at just uploading something from a campaign stuff onto YouTube that you hope goes viral, that then drives your um, website traffic and your con- contributions. You know, the question for the consultant is how are they structuring their, their contracts so that they can, uh, so that they benefit financially from that. Again, I'm not, I'm not questioning that. I mean, I'm no. not saying they shouldn't be making money. That's their job. Yeah. But, you know, the question is how is it shaping the campaign and the decisions that the candidate makes, not just running for office, which office to run for, and what strategy to pursue as a candidate. But that's, that's where a conflict can come in. And as you mentioned before, somebody who hasn't yeah. run would be more susceptible to, to take the word of the person that they're paying. Whereas somebody who's run a bunch of times will say, all right, well, that's a cool story, but here's what we're actually going to do. That's right. That's Uh, right. And that's where, you know, a candidate has to surround themselves uh, with people who they trust, who can help them make those decisions. All right. Is there a pecking order for uh, a consultants? Like, or is it, is it a, a fairly flat, kind of org chart uh, is there like a, a, a person who's organizing everything and then they hire the other consultants and, and it kind of goes down in, in that method. Well, the market is, you know, first the market is pretty concentrated. There's a lot of consultants out there and they're doing a lot of different work for a whole bunch of different kinds of candidates. But when you're talking about the big races, you know, presidential races or very expensive Senate races or statewide races, governor's races, you know, there tends to be a couple of firms um, that dominate um, uh, that, uh, particularly on the Democratic side. Um, there's a media firm, GMMB, which has, you know, uh, handled a lot of campaigns over the years. Um, on the Republican side, um, uh, there are similar ones, although you also see, um, you know, for example, in, in the case of Trump's um, 2016 campaign, because he was an outside ca- outsider candidate and because he you know, upended so so much of the um, received wisdom about campaigning. He had a a, a, a very a digital heavy strategy. You know, obviously using face Facebook and um, a guy named Brad Parscale who hadn't really um, been. He was an unknown. He really hadn't done political work before. Um, certainly wasn't widely known, but became um, became Trump's um, uh, main uh, main guy for digital uh, digital ads and that kind of, kind of catapulted him to the top of notoriety on, on, uh, in terms of Republican consultants. So, you know, people who kind of, uh, become, uh, you know, attached to successful campaigns themselves become prominent figures. And and so there's some churn there, you know, from cycle to cycle, um, the people who tend to be kind of at the center of the business and, you know, over time there's been, you know, 
certain um, certain firms that you know continue continue to show up um, uh, because of their um, their record uh, for sure. And now uh, Pascal is the the head. He is the campaign manager for, for he's running the campaign. Right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And you know to do to do you know a, a similar kind of strategy than he that he did in 2016 um, in terms of um, in terms of media. If you look at the campaigns that are running now, and and maybe even take the the 2018 election as well, are there any campaigns that stand out to you? As you mentioned before, the 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 consultants that brought the the people that were unknown up to the forefront uh, uh, are going to be the ones that are highly sought after. I mean, I guess what comes to mind is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Beto, and maybe. Mayor Pete uh, uh, would be people that just exploded onto the scene. Are there any other campaigns that come to your mind as, wow, th those guys are definitely going to work for another couple of years because of what they're doing right now? Well, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of in this strange moment in American politics where there's just, there's just so much uncertainty about, um, about the future. So whether it's at the presidential level, or as you mentioned, you know, the, Ability for um, relatively unknown candidates to win primaries that um, on, on the Democratic side, and and you see kind of the the, the role that consulting plays uh, in that process. So, for example, the Democratic Party uh, has been essentially telling consultants don't work for insurgent candidates who are trying to primary Democratic incumbents, and oh. so you know there may there there again then you get this question of if you're a consultant. Do you take the risk of attaching yourself to a a, a, a potential superstar or, or a rising star, or do you play it safe and just try to, um, you know, uh, attach yourself to an incumbent's campaign uh, who's going to maybe, you know, go from the House to the Senate and from the Senate to maybe a, a presidential campaign at some point? So I think, you know, uh, it's a little bit hard to say and it's a little bit too early to tell, um, but my expectation would be, like you said, with 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 uh, Pete Buttigieg or um, or others who were relatively unknown, as they even even if um, even if they don't win the nominate, even if he doesn't win the nomination, the success that he's had already is going to help somebody make their career, and that's what we saw, uh, you know, historically. So, for example, um, the 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 beginnings of the digital media landscape and campaigns really could be traced back to. Um, to Howard Dean in 2004. Mm -hmm. And even though Howard Dean was ultimately unsuccessful, he was really successful at raising money online. And the people behind that for him, uh, they ended up becoming the central figures in putting together the digital strategy for Obama's 08 campaigns and obviously 12. So, so, you know, as I said before, with each new campaign, there's a new opportunity for people to um, discover maybe new techniques or to overperform or outperform expectations, and then they kind of ride that to the next level of their business and also their prominence in either Democratic or Republican politics. Obviously, digital spending is exploding. Is there any other field uh, that is uh, becoming more and more a, a must-have that, that might not have been 10 years ago uh, in terms of consulting? Yeah. Yeah, I think you know the 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 what what you might think of as like the the back office of digital, which is the data analytics that's required to really target voters, and that that doesn't just inform the digital 
media strategy. It also informs the fundraising strategy, and it also informs the um, the ground strategy, the the field, the, what's called the field strategy, knocking on doors and, and the like. And and increasingly, the computing power and the big data that's available is um, enabling campaigns to have much more refined um, targeting models that essentially try to identify more precisely who's a possible supporter of that candidate. And then they use that to target the ads, whether it's a, a Facebook ad, whether it's an email, uh, or whether it's a knock on their door or, or a telephone call. And this is something that's gone on for forever. I think it was, it was it the, the, Carl Rove uh, organization that first started doing the the magazine subscription buyouts so they could like target if, if you know you were you, you got all the addresses of the guns and ammo subscribers in Texas and that way you could know exactly who were the second amendment people that you should be targeting yeah I mean it's actually much older I mean it, the, the 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 whole sort of field of direct mail which really developed in the 1960s um, is 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 where campaigns um, and other political movements, you know, first started to realize that information about consumer habits could be useful for identifying potential political supporters. And the, the, the attempt to do that actually goes back even further. It's just that the computing power didn't really exist uh, until the 1960s to, to make it practical. But as the technology has developed, you know, the possibility of greater refinements, um, you know, have come with it. And um, we've seen really that part of the business take off in terms of how essential it is to so many different components of a campaign. You know, political media coverage is is obviously very results based. If you win your campaign, all your strategies were brilliant. If you lose your campaign, then you over relied on something and therefore it might be faulty. Do, do you think that some of that advanced analytics that obviously powered two successful campaigns with Obama and then was uh, you know the the subject of some finger pointing with the Clinton campaign because the advanced analytics might have said one thing about going to Michigan and and the the gut of the political will of some of the other consultants said something else do, do you think that the advanced analytics uh, stuff has taken a hit any uh, after Clinton I, that's a good question I, I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, I I think th this sounds maybe a little bit uh Cynical, but I think consultants always have a way to kind of spin the result that <laughs> um, uh, pushes <laughs> pushes blame onto something else. Uh, you know, maybe what your question is also getting at, though, is is how how do campaigns learn from the past? Yeah, and how does that influence their strategy? And sometimes there's a there's a worry or or a risk that you're always you know so called fighting the last war, and that um, 2020 is just going to be a different world than than a different world than we lived in in 2016. Um, but having said that, there's there's no question that um, there's going to be a focus on targeting and a ground game and making sure that um, uh, that uh, particular constituencies are 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 contacted effectively. Whether that's going to be the difference, that's hard to say because there's always this degree of uncertainty that surrounds that surrounds a campaign. Um, and so uh, again, you know, part of that is what makes consulting um, a successful business. Um, part of that is what makes politics an exciting and ultimately, at the end of the day, an unpredictable um, uh, uh, pursuit. Well, 
I'm I, I you have no idea how much all of this has pleased me. I love, 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 love exploring this part of politics. My guest today has been Adam Scheingate. He is a professor and chair of political science at Johns Hopkins University. Go ahead and get his most recent book, Building a Business of Politics, The Rise of Political Consulting and the Transformation of American Democracy. Adam, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the show. Thanks, I had a blast. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>